We've been traveling through the Gospel of Luke these past few weeks, uh, actually more than that, and it seems as I read Luke over and over again, I discover new things. And for instance, this particular reading for me helped me remember how fixated Luke is about meals and banquets and feasts. Luke is always talking about eating together. About who was invited to the banquet. About where you sat when you went. About who did the serving. All through this gospel, this resonates, but especially beginning in the 14th chapter, that big chapter about the great banquet. It's a parable. Jesus is telling the righteous religious people. And in that parable, he says that a rich landowner wanted to throw a party for all of his rich, strong, powerful friends. And so he sent out engraved invitations and they all RSVP'd back regret. They had legitimate excuses. But since he had already prepared the party and the party giver wanted to continue the party, he sent his servants out into the homeless shelters into the AA centers, under the bridges, all over the places in Haiti and invited all of the people they could find to this big party. Everyone was welcomed. Jesus is telling this to those who were specific about who should come and who couldn't come to the party. And he tells this amazingly disruptive parable right before the 15th chapter of Luke that includes the three stories of being lost and found followed by a party. The first, the lost sheep. The second, the lost coin. And the third, I've preached on ad nauseum, the prodigal son lost and found and the big party that is thrown. So let's just go with the first two. They have plenty of traction. Beginning in the first verse of chapter 15. May God open up to us an understanding of this word. It starts with Luke's usual preamble to get our attention. He says, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners And parties with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness? Actually, no shepherd alone with ninety-nine sheep would leave them for the one. But it just shows you the hyperbole that Jesus is trying to offer up here so people will listen. He leaves the 99 in the wilderness and goes after that one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Party with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And just so I tell you, there will be a much bigger party in heaven, Jesus says, over one sinner who repents than over 99 self-righteous persons who think they need no repentance. Or 
What woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Party with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost, a party that cost a lot more than the coin was worth. Just so, Jesus says, I tell you, it's party time in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. It seems there is this place. It's actually not a place in terms of a longitude and latitude. There are no definite GPS coordinates. It's not really one place at all. In fact, it is more like a space. And I mean by that space in the colloquial use of the term, like technology people share with me when I ask them what they do, and they say, my space is software doing this and this and the other. That is to say, my mission or my room in which I work. There is this place, or now we'll say space, you see, that we inhabit. In fact, this space inhabits everything that is And when we are in it, we are in sync. Our body, our mind, our emotions, our spirit all comes together organically. All integrated, working in this seamless way along with all the other bodies and minds and emotions and spirits of those around us. Nothing is ever lost in this space. No one who is missing will not show up sooner or later in this space. Everyone and everything has a purpose in this space. In business, it might be called being in the flow. Everyone caught up in their mission, working together, clear about who they are and what they do and who everyone else is and what they do, what their purpose is. In this space, they all feel to be a part of things. And if anyone is missing in that space, the whole team is less than it would be otherwise. When you're in this space, you feel accepted and attached and welcomed and wanted. It's like a Thanksgiving table at family time that does not talk about politics, but gathers there because a place setting has been set for each family member and each family member has shown up with their smiles on their faces and they sit around the table and talk about stories of the family. Remember that time when we got stuck on the beach at Daytona in that 1957 Plymouth And the harder we tried to get out, the deeper we got until it took half the beach to come running to our aid to push us out. And everybody nods. This space, you see, is the experience of what it means to belong. To be included. To have a place set for us. In the New Testament, this space is called the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. This space is not so much about where we go when we die as it is what we experience when we are most fully alive. Most fully ourselves and most fully connected in community to others who are also most fully 
themselves. Luke uses the metaphor of a banquet or a feast. I like party. The kingdom of God is like a party where all of God's creation shows up to eat and dance and enjoy all that is. This is what Luke is trying to show us or tell us about. This is his whole shtick. Jesus was always partying, and Luke says he's always partying with the wrong people, according to the religious folk. He's partying with all the tax collectors, which I said last week are the worst of the worst, and all the sinners. They all went out, the lost and the last and the least. And the religious people grumbled, this guy welcomes sinners and eats with them. Knowing this, Jesus told the religious righteous people three parables about the kingdom of God. A shepherd loses one of his sheep and closes everything down until he finds it. And when he does, he puts it carefully lovingly on his shoulders and dances his way all the way back home where he throws a party by inviting everybody in the village knowing that if not everybody's there it's not a kingdom of God party. Even the lost sheep was gathered there and all those people felt like they were included like some bubba in Paris who doesn't open his mouth but some Parisian person goes and shows him grace nevertheless. I can say that personally. Woman loses a coin. She turns everything over in the house until she finds it. Then she dances and rejoices and throws a party and everybody's invited. Did I say everyone? Yes, thank you. And the uber parable of the prodigal son, the son finally comes to himself and he comes back home and the father does what? He throws a party. Everybody's invited, and everybody comes except one, the eldest brother, and he's too self-righteous and envious of this bad sinner younger brother to show up. And the father says, all I know is my son was lost, and now he's found, was dead, and now he's alive. Bring out the party music. This is Luke's whole story to us. Maybe this is why Luke spends so much effort trying to show how Jesus' invitation was for those who felt most excluded on the party list. The tax collectors, the sinners, the lost, the last, the least. He's always inviting them in. Maybe it's because Jesus knew what it meant to be left out. To be excluded and not to belong. For if anyone didn't belong in this world, it was certainly Jesus Christ. At his birth party, the shepherds showed up. They're the outcasts. And those strange three Zoroastrian wise men from somewhere out of nowhere, these three strangers, they're the ones who come to the party. Jesus touches the deceased, a taboo. He heals the dead. He lifts that hand out and touches lepers. And he calls tax collectors down from trees like Zacchaeus and says, I want to spend my lunchtime with you. 
And they all loved it. They all loved to eat with him because he loved to eat with them. And while eating at a good religious person's house, a prostitute from town walks through the door and inside the the dining room where only men were allowed unless the women were serving them. And she literally busts in with a jar of alabaster and breaks it and begins to massage his feet. It was the greatest scandal you can ever imagine. And Jesus welcomes her there, invites her there, and they all grumbled. In his Beatitudes, in Luke, Jesus says, Blessed are the outcast, the poor, the hungry, those who weep, those who are hated and persecuted. Blessed are you, he says, and rejoice and leap for joy, for surely your reward is being invited to the party. And to the rich, the powerful, and those who made the social list of who was included, Woe to you, he said, who are laughing now. Woe to you when all speak well of you. Woe to you when you are on the society page party list. Why? Because the scribes and the Pharisees, us mainly, because we have it in us, are not aware that we need to come to the party just like everybody else, because we are just like everybody else. And when we go, we're not called to sit in the best seats of the house. And when we throw a party, Jesus says, don't invite just our friends who can reciprocate. Invite them too, but invite all the people who cannot reciprocate. And that's what it looks like to have a kingdom of God party. And when you baptize somebody, don't count on them being worthy of baptism. In fact, that's why we baptize infants. They're no more worthy of being baptized than anybody else. I mean, what have they done to deserve it except being born? Which is the whole point. They are born in the image of God. Therefore, they are, like everybody else, God's child. And that is why we are invited to the party. Because like everybody else, we all share that same identity. And this party can break out anytime, anywhere, any place, wherever someone wants to rejoice and share in the joy of being found by God and by others. I can't help but imagine it's like this cosmic flash mob that just breaks out because someone is so full of joy that they want to dance and sing and share it. If there's a rap in this Kingdom of God party, it's only the kind of rap that Will Smith will sing. If they dance, there will be no twerking or gatoring, no disrespecting the space of anyone else. Everybody will dance, the blind and the lame. They'll leap up out of their wheelchairs and off their canes and start dancing like it's 1999. Everybody sings, even people like me who have no voice for it. Everyone is invited, our friends and our neighbors and also our enemies to this party. Dadgummit. And anyone else who is on the outside because everyone, did I say everyone, belongs. How good does that sound? Especially When you feel like or you've been taught to believe that you don't belong. 
That same logic works the other way. How bad does it feel when we are left out? We all know what it feels like not to be wanted or included or not to be on the party list. Some people are born not on the party list. Go to any orphanage, foster child program, they don't know that they've been invited to the party unless somehow they are loved into it. Some people are just excluded socially for some reason we do not understand. Maybe it's because of the color of their skin. Maybe it's because you don't like the way they comb their hair. Maybe it's because of their family dynamics. Maybe, who knows? And religious systems and institutions are the worst at this. In some religions, there is this threat of excommunication that hangs over the heads of each member that implies if you do not follow the rules and do it exactly like the church says, then you will be cut off, literally excommunicated from the community, thrown out of the party. And I got to tell you, folks, of all the words in the English language, I think excommunication may be the dirtiest and nasty word that's ever been invented. Because in the kingdom of God, in God's understanding of who's in and who is out, no one is ever excommunicated. Everyone is included, no matter how lost you are. Why? Because Jesus knew this about God. He told us and lived it out. Why? Because Jesus knew what it was like not to belong. As he entered Jerusalem before he was to be crucified, he cried, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, killing the prophets and stoning those who sent you. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her cheeks under, chicks under her wings, yet you would not let me. He was a complete outcast, never understood until his death. Most of his life he lived alone. He started out alone in the desert for 40 years as Lent began that we celebrated. He lived his life misunderstood by everyone, including all of his friends and his family. And at his death, he was left completely alone on the cross by all of those who followed him, only alone in his suffering and apparently maybe alone even to God. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? As the lovely poem on the Albert on the front of your bulletin that Albert Schweitzer shares with you, and I'll point it out for your reference when you leave today. They knew him not. We know what it's like not to be included. One of the things I need to share with you is that my one of my greatest regrets in ministry came when I was at Covenant Church in Atlanta. It was around the time I was 40 and things were going well at church and this man showed up at my door and introduced himself as Tom and we talked in his office and he shared that he was gay and he also shared that he had HIV, AIDS, and he wondered if there was a place for him in our church, he and his partner, would he find a forgiving place, a place where they would be accepted. And I assured him, yes, you will find that here. 
And so they joined, and they mostly were accepted and embraced, only from a distance, because we all knew that Tom had AIDS, not from his partner, but from some stupid mistakes he had made when he first came out at the age of 45. My family decided to give me a 40th birthday party, and so we were putting the invitation list together, and we were inviting many people from the church, although not all. And Tom and his partner's name came up, and I hesitated and said, uh, you know, um, this is my rationality, you know, um, I just think for this, with all the food being served and he's got full-blown AIDS that people might be uncomfortable if he comes, and so it's probably best to leave him off. He found out. He called me on it. It hurt so bad, he said, especially since you promised me I would be included. I had nothing to say other than I am so sorry. And the grace of the story is that Tom included me back into his life. Let me come back into his community life. And then the last week before he died, I sat on his bed and anointed him with oil, where he said to me, Steve, I finally come to see what it's all about, what this whole grace love thing is about and it simply comes down to that is just simply about love about how God loves each and every one of us regardless and I want to tell you that I still love you he said this man with AIDS before he died taught me everything I need to know about who God is and what Jesus is about And it simply comes down to learning how to love and include everybody. Because then you see, if you show love to others and are willing to party with them in the true kingdom of God fashion, even those with AIDS, you see, if if you do that, if you invite everyone, even the outcast, then you are assured that Jesus Christ will be present. Amen.